0: At the United Nations Summit in New York on Wednesday, President Joe Biden met with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and made this bold declaration.
1: 75 years ago, the first Israeli Prime Minister, David Ben-Gurion, after declaring independence, used a phrase that I've quoted all very often. He said that the world stands, if the world stands with Israel, to the dream of generations will be fulfilled.
0: 75 years ago, that dream was the founding of the Israeli state, following the devastation of the Holocaust and World War II. Biden's dream looked forward to a possible new alignment of powers in the Middle East quite different today than it was in 1948.
1: It includes building a more stable and prosperous Middle East that over time is beginning to occur and, uh, and through historic initiatives that have begun in previous administrations including, most recently, the Indian-Middle East-European Economic Corridor, which I think has enormous promise after the G20 meeting in India, which is going to connect India and Europe through Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and Israel. I think it's a big deal, and uh, we're working on a lot more together. Today, uh, we're going to discuss some of the hard issues.
0: Now, among the nations mentioned by Biden, one in particular stands out— in the eyes of Israel. Here's Benjamin Netanyahu.
2: I think that uh, under your leadership, Mr. President, we can forge a historic peace between Israel and Saudi Arabia. And I think such a peace would go a long way first to uh, advance the end of the Arab-Israeli conflict, uh, achieve reconciliation between the Islamic world and the Jewish state, and advance a genuine peace between Israel and the Palestinians. Uh, this is... Uh, Something within our reach.
0: It should be noted that under Netanyahu, Israeli settlement building in the Palestinian territories has ramped up with his government's full support. Also to note, Saudi Arabia has thus far never formally recognized Israeli sovereignty ever since its 1947 vote against the United Nations partition plan for Palestine. But on Wednesday, Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman, made it seem as if rapprochement could well be on the horizon. He was on Fox News.
2: Every day we get closer. It seems it's for the first time uh, a real one, serious. We're going to see how it goes. Now we don't have a relation with Israel, but if uh, Biden administration succeeded to make, I believe, the biggest historical deal since the end of the cold uh, 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 war, then we're going to start a relationship. And that relationship is going to be continuous regardless of who's
0: running uh, Israel. This is On Point. I'm Magna Chakrabarty. The coordinated messaging from Israel, Saudi Arabia, and the United States may be just that, messaging. However, A U.S.-brokered normalization of relations between Israel and Saudi Arabia could actually be in the works. And if successful, it would be an historic moment. What will it take to get there? And what is at stake for Israel, the U.S., Saudi Arabia, and the Palestinian people? Well, that's what we're going to explore today. And joining us is Nimrod Novik. He's the Israel Fellow at the Israel Policy Forum and former Foreign Policy Senior Advisor to former Prime Minister Shimon Peres. Nimrod, Nimrod, welcome to the program.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: Also with us today is Aziz Algushian. He's uh, a fellow at the at CPAD. It's a project at Lancaster University, and it stands for the Sectarianism Proxies and Desectarianization Project. His focus. is Research focuses on Saudi foreign policy towards Israel and Middle East and North African international relations. Aziz, welcome to you.
4: It's good to be with you, Magna. Thank you for having me.
0: So, first of all, uh, I want to go through some of the things that have been leaked about the current efforts between the United States, Israel and Saudi Arabia Or just this month, or or changes that we've seen um, just this month, because they've come rather rapidly. First of all, there was uh, the nomination of Jack Lew as U.S. ambassador to Israel. He's a former White House chief of staff, and then uh, also in September, we have the U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken having met uh, with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and Palestinian Authority leader Mahmoud Abbas, and then. Interestingly, there's this visit to Saudi Arabia by a high-level Palestinian delegation that included Abbas. So it does seem there's a ra- there's a big flurry of action going on right now. And Nimrod, let me start with you. Why are we seeing this momentum currently?
3: I believe that um, it's a almost a coincidence. Um, it all it all got some wind and life into it when President Biden decided that he wishes to pursue it. I mean, for uh, my prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, this has been a lifelong dream. Um, From the Saudi side, we've heard uh, indications of interest going back several years, Uh, but it took uh, the American to decide to dive into it and sit in the driver's seat, seat in order to get the three uh, working on this very, very complex initiative.
0: Okay. Uh, then Aziz, your same thoughts on that, or your thoughts on that same question?
4: Well, I mean, <clears throat> it's also very interesting because I do share this notion that uh, a lot of the times uh, it's uh, it is the, the the this file, this push for normalization and the American uh, visits to Saudi Arabia and Israel, but in I, particularly to Saudi Arabia, a lot of the times it's really uh, you know, because of other files. Uh-huh. So there are other issues that are taking place in Saudi Arabia. Um, you have the Yemeni file, which is very important for Saudi Arabia now and sh- Saudi security. And that's something that uh, Saudi security, uh, national security, and American national security uh, officials are working on. Um, and you have other files in, in Sudan and within this framework within this kind of relationship uh we see uh the bringing up of uh this uh push for saudi israeli uh normalization so it seems to be uh, this file is bandwagoning almost uh, on on to these other files but uh and interestingly uh the saudis just like what uh, uh my colleague numad mentioned the saudis have uh Indicated some interest. But in fact, I think historically, the Saudis have never kept the door closed on normalization with Israel. They've always kept that door open, especially when it's being brought uh, from the United States or if it's a US initiative. And the Saudis have always said they're expressed their willingness to to normalize relations, but they've always made it conditional. Mm. You know, they've always put the conditions. And I think a lot of the times, many people seem to overlook these conditions. Um, so I think that's worth mentioning. Uh, also, is that there is a lot of, uh, I would say, fluidity uh, in this complex situation, which makes it really difficult for many people to to try to pin down exactly what is happening. But it's also what makes it really interesting to really follow.
0: Okay. So it seems though as if perhaps that pattern may be repeating itself now, right? Because due to the some of the parts of the negotiations or, or talks that have been leaked. Uh, over the past mm. several weeks, right? We see that um, uh, an agreement m- could potentially or 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 it's being discussed that it might include that Israel and Saudi Arabia would sign a NATO-like defense treaty. The U.S. would oh, no. be able to sell, or then sell, sell state-of-the-art weaponry to Saudi Arabia and, interestingly— assist in Saudi's development of a a civilian nuclear program that would include the right to domestic uranium enrichment. And then uh, in return, Saudis would normalize ties with Israel, help end the war in Yemen, the Yemen file, as you just said, and provide massive financial assistance to the Palestinians if Israel puts a cap on settlement activity. So, I mean, Nimrod, those, I don't know, perhaps one doesn't wish to be cynical in potentially historic moments, but it seems as if each one of those uh, um, factors in the negotiations, you can see why it might easily end in in stalemate or just a rejection of an agreement.
3: your your skepticism is is, uh, well justified, uh, but the enormity of the reward uh, justifies the effort. Um, There is a sense, especially in the Israeli media, the Israeli media is, is hungry for a headline every day on this, on progress, on this, uh, uh, on this multilateral uh, track. Uh, it, it's not going to be that way. It's going to take time. It's going to take months to negotiate. You just mentioned uh, a few of the, of the uh, hurdles that have to be overcome. Uh, some of them have nothing to do with us Israelis. Uh, But there are also some of the uh, expectations of the Saudis from the U.S. uh, affect our security Mm -hmm. and our security establishment uh, has already um, in private expressed itself on them. I mean, whether the U.S. and Saudi Arabia sign um, a mutual defense treaty, that certainly is none of our business. Uh, But uh, if the supply of weapons uh, to Saudi Arabia uh, undermines the legislated American commitment to Israel's qualitative military edge in the region, uh, I think that would be a a very serious subject for discussion. And the same goes for uh, enrichment uh, of uh, uranium on Saudi soil, something the U.S. has, uh, U.S. and all nuclear powers thus far, uh, have rejected. uh, And Iran has been the only violator thus far. But on the Palestinian file, which is what most of us Israelis are focused more, um, I I, I doubt very much, uh, but Aziz is in in a better position to to know, uh, whether um, the Saudi leadership um, will be satisfied with just uh, freeze on settlements and some uh, funding for the, for the fledgling Palestinian Authority. Uh, I think that the expectation is for far more than that uh, for Israel to do. But I also think that it's not just the Saudis that will insist on it. I think it will be primarily Washington. Yes. Um, um, well, we N- Nimrod,
0: if you could just hold on for a second. Forgive me for interrupting. It's just that we have to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, Aziz, I'm going to want to hear you on uh, on exactly the things that Nimrod just mentioned. Plus, I want to t- talk about more specifically the U.S. role, and actually the interests of the three men in particular as individuals who are at the center of these these negotiations. So we'll cover all that when we come back. This is On Point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. This is On Point. I'm Magna Chakrabarti. And today, Nimrod Novik and Aziz Algushian join us today to talk about what's at stake with the current negotiations or U.S.-led negotiations between Israel and Saudi Arabia about a possible normalization of relations between the two countries. Uh, now, Aziz, we had just spoken about some of the uh, the aspects or parts that are under negotiation, uh, including uh, whether Israel would agree to let Saudi Arabia uh, develop its own civilian nuclear program. Now, before I ask you what you think about that, the Israeli government itself has spoken quite clearly on this already. Just last month, Israeli Minister for Strategic Affairs Ron Dermer was on the PBS NewsHour here in the United States And he talked about what Israel would need to consider as the Saudis are calling for a civilian nuclear program as, for them, I should say, for the Saudis as part of the negotiations.
3: We're not gonna agree to any nuclear weapons program with any of our neighbors. And the question will be, when it comes to the details of an agreement, what are the safeguards and what happens if they take another path, if they take a path with the Chinese or something else? We have to think through that whole thing. But let's not underestimate the impact that an Israeli-Saudi peace agreement could have on the region and the world. I think if Saudi, if you get a Saudi-Israeli peace, you're gonna have several other Arab countries and Muslim countries are gonna follow, sure, but we and all... I think it's the ultimate game changer.
0: Aziz, will you respond to that?
4: Yes, well, uh, this is what Saudi uh, sees uh, in the United States, and sees in this uh, real uh, push for peace, it, that it's an opportunity now. And that uh, this is the price, that the price for normalization uh, with Saudi Arabia, that as Ron Dermer said, um, and as others really said, that uh, how much of a game changer this may be, well, peace with Saudi Arabia or normalization with Saudi Arabia is not going to come for free. And it's not only going to be something that Nimrod alluded to um, or mentioned on the Palestinian front, Mm. but it's also something that the United States is going to have to pay as well. Saudi Arabia right now senses an immense amount of confidence. It's not the Saudi Arabia of before, which was uh, a little bit timid, perhaps. This is a Saudi Arabia that has more agency uh, in a different world uh, sphere. And that quite frankly, it's seen what happened in the Abraham Accords, Mm. which normalized relations between Israel and the UAE United Arab Emirates and Bahrain, and then later on Morocco, and uh, Sudan, Uh, one can say they, the United States arm twisted uh, Sudan and Morocco into normalization a little bit. But I think what Saudi uh, deduced, gained or uh, thought uh, from that uh, Abraham Accords, that was not too long ago, was that, well, normalization will come, will means that, well, we could get something very large from the United States as well. And what has happened is that it may have paved the way between normalization between Israel and Saudi Israel and the United Arab Emirates, but I think it complicated the way between Israel and Saudi Arabia because it shifted the burden of concessions from Israel to uh, the United States. Now it's the United States that has to make Saudi offers. And in that offers, in these negotiations, Saudi Arabia is calling dictating the tone right uh, it senses that it is uh, it has the leverage and the leverage before historically and I think maybe Nimrod uh, uh, I wonder if you will agree with this or not but historically I think Saudi Arabia was used was was uh, people wanted Saudi Arabia to pressure the United States into pressuring Israel to make some sort of concessions or to deal with the Palestinians mm. now it's actually the complete reversal the saudi leverage is based on what saudi will not do which is basically not normalize and all these uh, biden and, and 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 netanyahu and others are trying to do everything they can to get saudi to do something so it senses the leverage it has and it also senses that this is not a matter of urgency for it it's not that um, right you know, israel that it sees israel as the a strategic kind of, it does see Israel as strategic utility. It does see that it could be good partners, but I don't, I think there's more to it. And I think... Well, can this is I, the price that they want. Yeah, yes.
0: forgive me for, for jumping in there, but uh, uh, both of you have actually said quite a lot, and I, need, I would like to um, pinpoint a couple of details. So first of all, Nimrod, let me turn back to you. When Aziz said that um, with the Abraham Accords, which we'll talk about more in a minute, um, the burden for concessions shifted to the United States, I actually wonder if that, in a different way, is one of the reasons for the sense of urgency right now because under the current administration, the Biden administration here in the United States, there is a high amount of motivation to get some sort of normalization between Israel and and Saudi Arabia. We don't know what's going to happen after 2024 in this country. We may have a different administration altogether and the question of motivation, I mean, the motivation may go back down to zero. So, I mean, what do you think of that? Is that part of what's at play here?
3: Yes, there's no doubt. Um, Domestic politics uh, on all three uh, parties play a role in this. Um, And uh, what we heard uh, uh, Saudi uh, uh, officials whisper um, is a calculus that uh, if you if you are going to conclude a, a bilateral uh, security treaty with the United States, which has to go through Congress and be approved by two-thirds of the Senate, um, a democratic president can get Republicans to vote for it a Republican president will not be able to get Democrats to, and therefore let's do it with Biden because we don't know what will happen uh, down the road. So yes, domestic politics serve as an uh, accelerator, and it's also
0: the case in Israel. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, Prime Minister Netanyahu is in serious trouble.
0: Oh yes, we'll talk uh, about never- that for uh, sure a little bit later. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Well, so this actually gives us the chance. Uh, Again, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but uh, the domestic situation in Israel is also a huge part of this story, and I want to be able to give it its appropriate time. So we'll focus on that in just a couple of minutes. But also, I mean, the the other huge issue here that both of you have mentioned is the question of um, how these negotiations factor in the Palestinian people. And actually, in order to, to look at that, what we're going to do is go back in time a little bit, because Aziz, you had mentioned the Abraham Accords. So in order to get a little bit of that historic uh, perspective, we spoke to Ambassador Martin Indyk. He's currently the Lowy Distinguished Fellow in U.S. Middle East Diplomacy at the Council on Foreign Relations. He's served as the U.S. ambassador to Israel from 1995 to 1997, and then again from 2000 to 2001. Now, in July of 2000, uh, folks might remember that President Bill Clinton invited then-Israeli leader Ehud Barak and Palestinian leader Yasser Arafat to Camp David for discussions of a possible peace accord. Those talks quickly and dramatically collapsed. And Indik tells us that he looks back and says that failure made peace in the Middle East— almost unimaginable for the foreseeable future.
5: Since the Intifada that took place after the Camp David summit back in 2000, well, the relationship had deteriorated fairly dramatically. And uh, essentially, the opportunity to try to make a breakthrough to Israeli-Palestinian peace ended with the uh, end of the Clinton
0: administration. Then, in 2013, President Barack Obama and his then newly appointed Secretary of State John Kerry called on Ambassador Indyk to once again try to help steer the Israel-Palestinian relationship toward peace.
5: John Kerry, when he was appointed Secretary of State in the second Obama administration, decided that he was going to try once more, not because he thought that the chances were particularly good, but because he thought that if he didn't try, the prospect for getting to an Israeli-Palestinian peace would basically disappear for the foreseeable future.
0: Kerry managed to convince Netanyahu and then-Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas to agree to resume negotiations. Ambassador Indyk calls the effort a Hail Mary to reach a final status agreement between the two sides. And over the next nine months, Indyk and the United States listened as Israel and Palestinians presented their various positions on critical issues, including borders, refugees, the status of Jerusalem, and security agreements. And Indic tells us those conversations helped prepare a new set of parameters that could serve as the basis for the continuing negotiations now. But back in 2013, the successes stopped there. In the meantime,
5: Netanyahu was engaged in extensive settlement activity that really soured the negotiations. And I came to the conclusion that in in effect, both leaders... Abu Mazen and Netanyahu were looking for a way to blame the other side for the breakdown of negotiations, rather than looking for a way to achieve a breakthrough. And the critical moment came in uh, the spring of 2014, when President Obama presented our ideas to Abu Mazen in the hope of getting a positive response from him, and
0: Abu Mazen simply Didn't respond. Indic referring there to Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas, also known as Abu Mazen. Now, the U.S. brokered framework backed key Palestinian demands, including that the territory of the future Palestine be based on borders set before the 1967 Arab-Israeli War. Reports at the time suggested that it was not enough for President Abbas to reverse his position on recognizing Israel as a Jewish state. So negotiations ended in stalemate, and the U.S. effort also ended in June 2014. So now here we are, almost a decade later, and or I should say, uh, yeah, a decade later. The Israel-Palestinian relationship currently faces a particular tense moment with Benjamin Netanyahu as prime minister, In recent years, though, Israel has been more successful with negotiating with other Arab nations. So we asked the ambassador, how did the Israeli Palestinian relations affect Israeli relationships with Arab countries a decade ago? And how has that changed over the years?
5: In those days, the Arab position was that uh, first there had to be an agreement between the Israelis and Palestinians, and then the Arab states would make peace and normalize with Israel. And this was supposed to bolster the Palestinian negotiating position, put them in a position where they could say, if you make peace with us, Israel, you'll have peace with the whole Arab world. Well, that was a nice theory. In practice, it made no perceptible difference. And I think the Palestinians were overconfident in their belief that the the Arab States would just stick by that forever, and the Arab states got tired of it, got tired of funding a a process, Palestinian Authority, that seemed to uh, go nowhere, uh, a, a peace process that seemed to be achieving no progress, and they wanted to get on.
0: As a result, Bahrain, Morocco, Sudan, and the United Arab Emirates signed the Abraham Accords with Israel in 2020 with no measures requiring a final status agreement between Israel and the Palestinians. Ambassador Indic believes that the current negotiations between Israel and Saudi Arabia could be on a similar path, that while Israeli-Palestinian relations will play some role, it may not hold the same weight it once did. It's
5: true that normalization is affected by what happens on the Palestinian track, even though these Arab countries have decided to go ahead. So the Abraham Accord countries, UAE, Morocco, Bahrain, have slowed their normalisation process in some respects in terms of meeting with formal meetings with Israelis, for example, um, because of the situation on the ground in the West Bank and in Gaza and in Jerusalem. But on the other hand, it seems to me that the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman, is not going to condition his deal with Israel and with the United States on uh, significant progress between the Israelis and Palestinians. He needs cover, Palestinian cover. He's negotiating that now with the Palestinians. But in the end, I believe that uh, the failure to make formal progress in Israeli-Palestinian negotiations, will not hold up the Israeli-Saudi peace deal. There are plenty of other things that may, but I don't believe that's that's a deal breaker.
0: Martin Indyk, former U.S. ambassador to Israel between, uh, under the Clinton administration, and between July 2013 to 2014, he served as U.S. special envoy for the Israeli-Palestinian negotiations. Okay, Aziz, let me turn back to you here, because here's how I would put it from what i hear from indic the normal the potential normalization of relations between israel and saudi arabia is not underscore not the same thing as peace between israel and the palestinians the two are not equal one can happen without the other as, as indic has said so i do wonder um you know as settlement building continues apace in saudi uh, in palestinian territories is it possible here that the door could be closed on Palestinians' hopes if Israel decides its own self-interest in achieving normalization, uh, excuse me, if, Pal- if Saudi Arabia decides that its own self-interest in achieving normalization with Israel is more important than its continued support of the, of the Palestinians?
4: Well, if that was the pure logic, then I think Saudi Arabia would have normalized relations years ago. The The reality is that Saudi Arabia is not like other countries in the, Arab, uh, in the Arab world. I think um, there were other officials that said, the reason being is that this opened uh, horizons or potentially will open horizons, that Saudi Arabia can then, you could get to normalize, if you normalize relations with Saudi Arabia, you normalize relations with the rest of the Muslim world and you normalize relations with the other Arab states. And, and to be honest with you, I also have doubts with that uh, personally, because it's, there's a lot of domestic issues um, And so the situation is complex. Saudi Arabia has a a very significant history. Saudi Arabia has a very significant identity. And that identity is predicated on being uh, the Kosadanian of the two holy mosques. And then really being a, a Muslim country, irrespective of all these changes, this notion of Islam and the leader of Islam plays a particular role in its foreign policy mm. now the situation is uh, so i don't think it could negate completely a palestinian issue the, the 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 aspect the 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 complexities is that i think you know one of the things that we are we have overlooked in this discussion is that you know a lot of the times that saudi has made demands from the united states but even secretary blinken himself said that okay there is a there that there has to be a Palestinian component, and that Palestinian component is a Saudi demand, which will then work for us for our two-state solution, et cetera, et cetera. But the point here is that, you know, I think Saudis have been made made very clear that there is a demand. Now, what, what is not clear is that what is this demand in itself? Right. This is the aspect that is up in the air.
0: Yeah, well, as it is up in the air, um, we also have to take a break at this moment. So when we come back, um, we'll talk more about the Palestinian question here. And also, as as I said, about the domestic situation in Israel right now and how much that's a factor uh, in these negotiations. So we'll be back. This is On Point.
5: Did you kill Marlene Johnson?
0: You're back with On Point. I'm Magna Chakrabarty, and today we're talking about U.S.-led. Efforts towards the normalization of relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel. I'm joined by Nimrod Novik. He's Israel Fellow at the Israel Policy Forum, and Aziz al Algashian also joins us. He's a fellow at the Sectarianism, Proxies, and Desectarianization Project at Lancaster University. Uh, by the way, I should say that Aziz is in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and Nimrod's joining us today from Raanana in Israel. Now we had uh, just talked about. Um, the demands or the the conditions that Saudi Arabia might place on Israel if to achieve normalization, and of course the Palestinian question is uh, quite significant among them. I will note that as we discussed previously, that in the Abraham Accords it didn't you know the Palestinian question ultimately was just dropped, uh, and Bahrain, Morocco, Sudan, and UAE, so at least two Gulf states there, um, agreed to sign those accords without any progress on israel-palestinian relations but as aziz said before the break Saudi Arabia may be different uh, as it considers itself the leader uh, of uh, the Arab states um, and the home of the holiest of holy locations uh, in the Muslim world. Uh, So let's actually hear from what the leader of Saudi Arabia himself has said about this. During his interview with Fox News recently, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman spoke on the role that Israel-Palestinian relations will play in the current negotiations.
2: Well, uh, there is approach from uh, President Biden administration to get to that point. Uh, for us, the Palestinian issue is very important. We need to solve that part, and we have a good negotiation to continue. Till now, we're going to see where it will go. We hope that it will reach a place that it will uh, ease the life of the Palestinians and uh, get Israel back uh, as a player the middle, middle East.
0: Now, Nimrod, I'd like to get, of course, the Israeli view on this, because uh, I hear Mohammed bin Salman there saying, yes, the Palestinian issue uh, is important for Saudi Arabia. They want to ease the life of Palestinians. But that is deliberately non-specific language, right? As Aziz was saying, there's no detail yet as to what the actual terms of an agreement would be. So, I mean, how does that language land uh, in the ears of uh, Israelis right now?
3: Um. You know, Israel is not a black box. You know, we open up and we have different views. (laughs) Of course. Um, So I will give you any Israeli uh, perspective. And I would say that um, I'm very much uh, hopeful that our understanding of what's going on is correct. And that is to say uh, that the Saudi leadership prefers not to dive into the Israeli-Palestinian issue before they have secured the Saudi-American one. So there's negotiations about the three items that uh, the kingdom has presented Washington uh, that it needs in this in the context of this uh, mega deal, uh, but they have not presented yet what are their expectations regarding the Palestinians. Hmm. Uh, the Americans have been more forthcoming and they have some expectations. Uh, they certainly wanna make sure, and I hope they insist on it, and I hope the Saudis do too, uh, that in the context of this deal, things happen, that revive the hope for an eventual two state solution we are on the opposite uh, path right now right we are sliding into an ever conflicted bloody one state reality um and here is an opportunity uh, with with the importance of the of the saudi component of historical uh, proportions um to to maybe get israeli politics Uh, to embrace a a change of course. Uh, It is a complicated situation because the prime minister have created uh, a coalition of uh, self-proclaimed homophobes, Jewish supremacists and messianic annexationists uh, because these were the only people who were willing to legislate uh, a resolution for his legal predicaments. Correct. Uh, He's standing trial on on bribery and other, on uh, all kinds of corruption uh, allegations, uh, indictments, um, and they were willing to legislate a solution, uh, a mega uh, awareness awakening of the Israeli uh, liberal uh, de- liberal de- de- democratic majority has blocked it thus far with huge demonstrations uh, tomorrow night. So we will be there again for the 38th consecutive uh, week.
0: Now, and- Nim- Nimrod, let me just jump in here for a second to clarify for, for our listeners. For, forgive me for interrupting you for on um, uh, what you're talking about here. Um, as Nimrod was, has been saying, there has been months and months and months of massive demonstrations against the Netanyahu government for their first proposed and now passed judicial, massive judicial overhaul that would completely change um uh, the legal system or the, the the judicial system in Israel, interestingly, that issue is propelling Israel towards a constitutional crisis, uh, which uh, is continuing, as Nimrod was saying, to um, have Israelis pour into the streets in defense of their own democracy. Now, um, that Nimrod, I'm glad you brought that up because, of course, that makes it makes me wonder if a, well, two things. So, so let's just start with the first one. Say some kind of normalization between Israel and Saudi Arabia were uh, achieved under a Netanyahu government, that would be like a godsend to him, would it not? Because it would, could it at least you know meaningfully change uh, political discussions in Israel uh, about Netanyahu as a leader um, and about the you know the future of the Israeli state and it, change it away from the the catastrophe around the judicial reforms.
3: You're absolutely right, provided that the Saudis and the Americans have no interest in a substantial uh, uh, in substantial Israeli measures towards the Palestinians. The current Israeli coalition will not tolerate anything um, towards the Palestinians, anything that threat that strengthens the Palestinian authority. Uh, these people have a very different uh, vision, mm-hmm. uh, only Jewish sovereignty, including over the millions of Palestinians uh, who live on the West Bank and, 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 and Gaza. Um, should the deal be contingent on serious measures that revive the hope for a two-state solution, Netanyahu will have to change his coalition and then we will have, the reward is gonna be even more enormous because the entire assault on our democracy will be thrown into the uh, uh, trash can of history, Mm. while at the same time we get the enormous reward of normalization with Saudi Arabia, and a change, of course, for a gradual separation between Israelis and Palestinians into an eventual two-state solution.
0: Okay. Aziz, let me turn back to you, because again, on... On the public language, at least, that we're hearing right now uh, from Mohammed bin Salman, for as long as he is vague about what uh, Saudi Arabia would wish to see uh, regarding uh, the welfare of the Palestinian people, given the single mindedness of netanyahu and his and his supporters and his current government regarding their vision for israel and palestine settlement building the complete you know eradication of any return to thinking about a two state solution it is it is so rigid and so single minded that nothing short of specific demands from saudi arabia would uh, sort of force a a moment of reality in terms of how these nations are speaking to each other or how they're speaking to each other through the United States i do wonder about that yeah well
4: it's it's uh, it it's it just speaks again to the to the complex issue i think historically saudi has always made uh this kind of position and it, historically it also didn't interject itself into the uh intricacies of such a Palestinian Israeli American brokered uh, deal their position was the following whatever the Palestinians accept we will accept this is the historical position mm. but I think uh, <clears throat> I think uh, now what really makes this um, seem to be a, a a significant push also or some sort of, uh, in our reality is that it, it seems that they're not talking about statehood, but we're talking about concessions. And this this seems to be that even with the Palestinians uh, and Saudis and hopefully the U.S., there seems to be an aspect of pragmatism here and reality at the same time. So, But at the same time, they're not willing to put themselves into the mix because that's just not the way they do things. That's just not the way they do things. So Saudi now—it goes back to one of the first points that I mentioned earlier—was that um, it's in a wait-and-see mode. You know, if the stars align, uh, and it's a good deal, or some sort of um, deal that that enables Saudi to build and con- uh, build uh, its its legitimacy of its relationship with Israel. Which means, which has to have a Palestinian component. Then I, 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 you know, in addition to the American demands or the demands from the United States, then you you could see, you know, it's become then that is something that could happen. But uh, in my in my view on this, is that. Um, I, you know, I don't see Saudi trying to induce something. Yeah. Aziz, uh, can so I just, I'm sorry, if, in the back. I'm sorry
0: to, I'm sorry to forgive, uh, forgive me. Um, I'm sorry to interrupt again. It's just, uh, we've, we've got a little bit of delay on our connection. So my apologies to both of you. I have a brief question for you, Aziz, before we sort of begin to to wrap up this conversation. It's something, go back something you said a little earlier. Again, because mm-hmm. this Palestinian question is so important uh, in these current mm-hmm. negotiations. You know, the, Traditional thinking is that national self-interest really ultimately trumps all in these kinds of negotiations. But I wonder, because you had mentioned Saudi Arabia as a leader amongst Muslim countries, is it possible here that, that national self-interest might recede in favor of, uh, let's call it, the self-interest of the, the Muslim belief in the ummah? Right of the you know the global community of the welfare of Muslims everywhere, because I want to really understand, and well, I've got a minute for you here on this, but how does okay. that that concept play in how in in this moment?
4: it this is a very good question, and I'll try to be as brief as possible. Now, historically, this is indeed this is something that this is this Saudi Arabia is different than the previous Saudi Arabia before the current Saudi Arabia now. Say, we are different. We're not going to put something, you know, we're not going to put other people's interests in front of us. And I think that's consistent. But the whole idea is that it is in Saudi's interest to have a Palestinian component. That's the issue. The Palestinian component is infused in Saudi identity in different ways, and it plays its role in Saudi society and Saudi projection. And therefore, it's complex. It's not just a matter of something for the Palestinians. It's something for Saudi Arabia as well. Uh, normalization, for example, is not, a very, is not a very good term. It's not a very liked term here in Saudi Arabia. Now, Saudi, I think what may, made it more rational now thinking as in more self-interested is that it put other people's interests before, but Saudi also has a very rich history of thinking of its own interests too. So it, it's something that is a constant balancing that Saudi Arabia has, is that, okay, it's balancing between its identity and, ident- and the obligations it identifies itself with, at the same time with its self-interest. And it's a constant process that's balancing. So what, that's what makes Saudi very elusive, I
0: think, mm. Well, to we so understand. Yeah, I appreciate that very much. And we only have just a, a minute or two left in this conversation. So, Nimrod, let me ask you, you know, what would you like to see happen in the next couple of weeks? Or or what information do you need to see in order to help understand what direction these negotiations might be headed?
3: I I think it'll take longer than a couple of weeks. But what I would like to uh, understand is the Saudi position on the um, list of expectations presented to them by the Palestinians, which has already taken place. Mm-hmm. Um, what we already know is that the Saudis basically told the Palestinians, uh, don't bring us your expectations of the US. That is something you need to deal with the Americans directly. Uh, and we don't want to get in the, in the mix of that. Bring us only your expectations from the Israelis. What will it be that is realistically attainable uh, and does change course, and that change dynamics. Uh, obviously, freeze on settlements, obviously some additional transition of territory to the Palestinian Authority, uh, obviously reining in on, on settler violence against Palestinians. But how do you Palestinians wish to package this into a realistic uh, something, knowing that the two-state solution is still over the horizon?
0: Huh. Is that possible? You think?
3: Oh yes, I, I don't think it's that difficult. Uh, I think it's a matter of political decision. Uh, if uh, I think the Palestinians have done their homework and are doing, uh, I think that we heard that in Riyadh they are doing their homework at least. That what what that's a, the main reason for which they have not presented their own list. And the Americans are doing their homework and so do uh, Israelis, uh, the Prime Minister, Ron Dermer, and others, um, square. what what will be difficult is squaring this circle. Um, Whatever list comes out of Washington, Riyadh, and Ramallah uh, will not pass the current Israeli coalition. Yes. Is the Prime Minister prepared in the context of a Saudi deal to get rid of his coalition partners bring in centrist parties, and in the process, trash the legislative uh, assault on our democracy. If that's the case, a year from now, we're going to be in a very good place.
0: Mm. That is the biggest if we have ended a conversation on in quite some time. But Nimrod Novik, uh, Israel Fellow at the Israel Policy Forum, joining us today from Ra'anana in Israel. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: And Aziz Algushian, fellow at the Sectarianism, Proxies, and Desectarianization Project at Lancaster University, with us today from Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. Aziz, thank you so very much.
4: My pleasure, and it's great to be with you both.
0: And by the way, I have to say, I want to give a personal thanks to the entire On Point staff here at WBUR today because they dealt with every possible technological disaster you could think of, including a complete breakdown of the Internet this morning. We were disconnected from the world, but you listeners did not know it because that is how pro they are. So thank you, On Point team. Happy Friday, everyone. I'm Meghna Chakrabarti. This is On Point.